we have to build deeper relationships with each other you know some of the the greatest conversations that i've had with friends is when we've been vulnerable with each other and i think vulnerability breeds vulnerability so if you go into a room of friends and the question is how you how you doing you're right and someone's like yeah i'm good man had a good start to the year the person that's coming after you is probably going to think that they have to follow suit you know in that kind of mood so now I've changed the questions that I ask my friends. I don't say how are you. Right now I say, on a scale of one to ten, how are you feeling today? Then they've actually got to think about how they're actually feeling. All right, I'm a six today. Why are you a six? Oh man, I ain't worked for a while and that's getting me down. Bro, do you know what? Me too, man. Works not the and it just vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And I think the way to get out of it is, is such a, a a big thing and, and there's different aspects and it's so nuanced. But I think one one big thing for me is building deeper relationships man 100% that's Governor B and this is Time to Talk welcome to Time to Talk I'm Alex Holmes your host and this is where I speak to life seekers healers and leaders in their fields to break down the stigmas of mental health heal and become emotionally courageous by having one compassionate conversation at a time this week, it's time to talk about grief and masculinity with Governor B. Governor B is an East London rapper who I feel like I've grown up with and known my whole life. I grew up in his music, especially in my younger days when I identified as a Christian. He is a pioneer in rap with a Christian focus, and it was a positive addition to my youth. But today, we are speaking about grief. He lost his father in 2017, and so we have a deep dive into what that grief taught him, the relationship he had with his dad, and what we can learn from grief. We also talk about love, fatherhood, mental health in church, and marriage. It's a great conversation with a legend, but also don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share among as many people as you can. Let's get the word out there that here is the place for confident, wholehearted and compassionate conversation. If you aren't already, head over to steadyhq.com forward slash Alex Holmes and sign up to join the membership platform where you can choose whichever plan you want. It just means that I can be a lot more selective with the ads that I put on the episode. And also there are other goodies coming from here on out that will be great for subscribers and members. So head over to steadyhq.com forward slash Alex Holmes if you're interested in that. But for now, buckle up, stay encouraged and be brave. Let's talk to Governor B. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Governor B, how are you doing? Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. No worries. Doing good. Doing good. Weather's not too bad today. Yeah. I've had a decent start to the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I can't complain. Well, I could complain, but I'm not going to. <laughs> it's one of those ones, man. Um, I looked out, the, I looked out the, the window this morning and I just thought nobody would have thought it had been snowing like over the past few days, you know? Like the way the snow's gone, um, I just figured, oh, it's a, it's kind of a, I felt a bit sad. It's the kind of an end of a, of, of an era, you know, it was like a day of snow and that was what we got, um, you know, so. I know, man. I don't know what it is. That's it, London for you, man. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It just makes things just a bit more, a bit more exciting when you look outside and you see a bit of snow as well. Um, but yes, 
Thank you for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, and I wanted to, so we're going to speak to you about your book, like Unspoken. And, um, you know, you've got the tagline, um, toxic masculinity and how I faced the man within the man. And that's a big topic for me here. Um, I love talking about that kind of stuff. I just recently put out an episode about masculinity and mm. the the singular nature of it all and how um, how exclusionary it is, how difficult yeah. it is to uphold um, and whatnot. So definitely going to be getting into that. Um, so I'm excited to chat to you and get your perspective on what that what that means to you. But before we get into it, Kingdom Skank. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going way back. We're going way back. So a bit of context for those who are listening. Um, almost, okay, we're 2021 now. This was 2008. Um, around that time, I went to, I don't know, you were probably aware of um, Soul Survivor. Are you aware of Soul Survivor? It, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, I, yeah remember I, hearing, I remember hearing Kingdom's Gang just, just among like the youth. So um, King, Soul Survivor is like a Christian kind of festival camp for young people to go to. Um, loads of different workshops, um, amazing kind of level of fellowship there as well. And, um, and yeah, I remember us just being young Christians at the time as well, just chatting, like, you know, trying to find um, Christian hip-hop, Christian rap, because... Obviously, that's the, that's still the connection to the wider culture as well. But uh, you mm. know, when you are in Christian circles, you want to just kind of like make sure that it's all clean and people <laughs> are, are, <laughs> are, you know, are talking things. And um, yeah, I wanted to know like what 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 led you to 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 kind of tap into a, a generation with that kind of music at the beginning, and and how have you seen the trajectory from like two thousand eight to two thousand twenty one and like, how do you feel about yeah. when, you, when I when I said Kingdom Skank? Like, your face just lit up. <laughs> like, but when you um when you look back on it, how do you think? How do you feel about it? Yeah, those were good times, man. Very uh, black and white times. I think um, the way that we used to look at things. But I started off rapping in year nine at school in a playground, just like battle rapping and stuff, mm -hmm. saying some not not very nice things about people's mums and stuff. But my youth leader at the church kind of found one of my songs on MySpace and he said, oh, I don't really understand. So you kind of come to church for your Christians, um, your Christian family and you're a good guy at church, you're quite positive, but your music isn't really reflective of who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and I was rapping about like guns, drugs, girls, that kind of stuff. And in reality, I didn't have a gun, didn't do drugs, didn't get any girls really. So <laughs> um, he said, look, I'm going to challenge you to record um an album that's reflective of the life that you're living you know when you come to church and the kind of person you are um and it's just for our youth group and there was about 70 people in our youth group at the time and it came to the day of the album launch and he did like a little event for me at the youth club and about 800 people turned up and that's when i kind of realized okay i've got something here um but i was very conditioned that you know if you're a christian you just make christian music mm. for christians so you talk about your faith and that's it you can't talk about anything else yeah. and anything that's not talking about that is other and we don't do that here it's, it's very black and white um so i guess that's why i kind of went into it but as i got a bit older i was like i view things a bit differently my faith is kind of foundational to who i am but sometimes i want to talk about you know my marriage or sometimes i want to talk about youth violence or the 
other topics do you know what i'm saying not just about me being a christian um my faith will probably seep into those topics as well but i wanted to talk about other stuff um in terms of how it's changed from so yeah then that's why i did kingdom skank and obviously that was a, a big success back then and i love that time man there was loads of events i think the young people felt like they were part of a community and it was it was a special time but i think how things have changed is you know faith-based music and people that believe in jesus or allah or whatever you believe in there's a bit more nuance there you know you've got mainstream artists like stormzy and, and kendrick lamar justin bieber chance the rapper that are mainstream but also exploring themes of faith through their music so i think the door is open for for a bit more nuance it's not as black and white as it used to be mm -hmm. um which i think is a cool thing all around yeah. um but yeah man those were those were good times yeah. has it been with regards to what you just said about you know people are kind of stepping into speaking a bit more openly about their faith and where they're at with that um especially in mainstream music do you think that that's been quite difficult for you to kind of like put through um with regards to your whole career as as that's been the foundation of your music yeah man i think when it when it started to happen and you know there were huge successes like you know storms is blinded by your grace and um stuff justin bieber's been doing recently i was kind of like hey guys i've been i've been doing this for a while <laughs> you know um but all in all, I think it's actually been a good thing, you know. The last album that I put out had like a lot of success on Radio One and One Extra, and I don't know if that would have happened five years ago. I think because of maybe the times that we're living in and the fact that people are after hope and positivity and inspiration, plus the fact that these mainstream artists are normalising the conversation of faith, I think it makes it easier for anyone offering um, something to that conversation mm. um, to come through and, and showcase what they have to say. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a very interesting thing. Um, just to kind of just to see what what the scope is like, like um, you know, very it was a very interesting time in twenty thousand eight to ten, um, going into or for me going to uni and then kind of like being at the funky house and um, and then looking yeah. at everything now and just seeing the the just just the sheer difference of just how um, we kind of interact with music at this stage too. Um, so mm. this spiritual foundations of your upbringing you know like you come from a Ghanaian background um what was that like for you with yeah. regards to um you know just growing up in the church yeah um I think culturally um my parents and where they're, they're from in, in Ghana and um, so my dad's from a place called Kokomem and my mom's from a place called Darkuma um faith is a huge part of just the culture as a whole and i think that's probably synonymous with quite a few uh african countries so from when i was very young i remember getting taken to church any situation that i was in i remember my mum responding to it with faith saying we'll be okay and, and god is good and that kind of stuff but they didn't always communicate why we believe you know it was just something that was a standard something that was a given and so i think because of that when i reached 15 16 and they weren't as heavy-handed or um, they didn't force me to go church anymore i was kind of stuck because i was like i've done this and it's been more of a cultural mm. thing than something that i've actually intentionally wanted to do so now i'm at this crossroads where if i'm going to continue 
like being a man of faith i need to know what it means for myself so that's almost where my education started um i think having ghanaian parents can't speak for all of them but for mine certainly it was just it was just the standard you know we, we don't explain it to you this is just what we do yeah. and so that obviously had a huge impact on, on my life growing up and what i was allowed to do um wasn't allowed to go out all the time wasn't allowed to play for a football team because they played their matches on a sunday and that kind of oh, thing yeah. Yeah. um yeah man yeah. um when you ever asked the question what answers did you get <laughs> um this is just what we do oh my dad would often say because and that's it <laughs> and do you know what? i don't know whether that's reflective of him just not being bothered to explain it to me because he didn't want me to debate him mm -hmm. on what i thought and ask questions fear that i might want to go a different route or maybe he was also conditioned to just see it as a cultural thing and he didn't know why it was what he believed um i'm not i'm not sure what i think maybe a bit of both but yeah i didn't really get many many answers yeah. you know it's a it's like it's kind of doused in superstition isn't it as well um, mm. especially with a lot of these black cultures that we that we come from so um mm. i remember i I, I asked my parents quite a lot and my aunties and uncles just why certain things yeah and they don't have the answer they can't they can't <laughs> they can't answer me they're like you know it's like a you know when you see a robot that is just overloading and they're like oh my yeah. god what's this this is a question that i can't answer it's so funny you say that as well because mm. i think sometimes when i look at my parents when i look in their eyes i feel like they want to explain but they just don't know how mm. and Neither of them were fantastic communicators anyway. Um, but yeah, it's funny, man. I get that same vibe from them. Yeah. But you know what? It's inspired me because now I've got a son who's a year and a half. I'm like, I want to parent him. There's loads of things I loved about the way I was brought up. Um, but one thing I definitely would love to change is I want him to be able to ask me questions and I want him to be able to challenge my thought process. You know, I want to be able to justify um, the stuff that I'd encourage him to do. And so he knows why, you know, um, but yeah. I guess that's a that's a difference between our generation and the generation before us. We actually, we actually are okay <laughs> yeah. with, with discussing these things and like, you know, <laughs> um we we may end up abandoning hierarchy in that in that yeah, in, in that sense um but you know in kind of opening up to more to more inquisitive and inquiring like uh ways of trying to of trying to live and trying to exist mm. um but in general like what was your kind of introduction to to understanding what it meant to be be a man right and the reason i asked this question so just for just a bit more context, the reason I ask this question because so many guys that come onto the show, um, they have so many different, varied experiences. Some of them didn't grow up with their dad. Some of them found paternity or or like brotherhood on um, like with their neighbors and their and the people that lived on their block or around or, just, or, mm. or cousins or whatnot. So, um, like, what was your kind of introduction to understanding what it meant to be a man? Yeah, I guess it was looking at first-hand experience of how my dad was, you know. Um, a lot of the people on my estate, so I grew up on a council estate in, in Custom House in East London, and a lot of people on my estate, my friends, they didn't have dads, they weren't around or, or they left or they didn't know who their dads were and, and that kind of stuff. So I always felt really privileged to have my dad at home. Um, and 
for me that was just like okay i'm i'm good now like my dad's here and i'm already in a better position than so many people mm. but his priorities were always you know provision and protection so he goes to work he provides um and if he provides it means the family are protected financially and we have a, a roof over our head and a, and a bed to sleep in and uh food on the table but in terms of when he was at home he's a great guy but he didn't offer much in in the form of being present yeah mm -hmm. so i'm happy that my dad was at home because so many people didn't have that but I don't think he was present, you know, he would sit on a sofa, watch TV, um, not really ask me how my day was, wouldn't speak to me unless he was asking me to do something or asking me a question or, or telling me off. Um, but I didn't ever doubt that he loved me. I knew he did, but that was just normal life for me, you know, in terms of affection. Um, I didn't see him show affection a great deal. He was just this, you know, strong man, never really saw him cry. Um, very helpful, you know, um, was quick to help people. If anyone in the family needed a lift to the airport, he'd always be the one that they call and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think his primary role was to provide and protect. And so for me, that was a man. All you got to do is go to work and and protect and provide for the family. Yeah. And then when did that, when did that shatter for you? <laughs> when did that shatter for me? Um, I think it was probably when my mum started to lean on me for stuff that she wasn't getting from my dad. Mm. So from a 14, 15, 16 year old, years old, I don't think I realised it at the time. This is all kind of hindsight, but she would lean on me quite a lot emotionally. So if she was struggling, she'd say, I'm struggling. And um, she'd just come to me for help, you know, for that moral support, for that emotional support. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got older that I realised that maybe she did that because he wasn't getting it from my dad because he was either always at work and when he came back, he was tired. And so didn't give much emotionally. Um, so I wouldn't say it shattered at that point, but I said I started to become aware that maybe this idea of him fulfilling his role um, perfectly wasn't as accurate um, and then I guess I felt it on a deeper level when I got into a long-term relationship with my girlfriend who is now my wife and she had a slightly different experience um, slightly different upbringing you know um, dad was very kind of sound emotionally and and present and so I realized that I was like my dad do you know what I mean? Because that's all I saw. So yeah. she'd say, oh, you don't communicate. You, you don't tell me enough. You, you seem like a, a closed book. And it wasn't because I was intentionally hiding stuff. It's just because I didn't know how, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think that's when it shattered for me. Yeah. When I realized that actually this vision that I had of what makes a man isn't, isn't what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. There's a bit in your book where you um, spoke about like if your dad was um he was he was very educated man this is exactly this is what you wrote for this is what you wrote verbatim right he's a very educated man but um he if he when he was teaching me it didn't come across that way or whatever and um, <laughs> no and, way. um 
so uh, how many of those kind of interactions because it was so it was so familiar to hear something like that because and especially <laughs> nowadays when a lot of um, parents are, out, are homeschooling their kids because they have to yeah. and it's like and you know um and i imagine like in time there's going to be songs about being homeschooled there's going to be comedy there's going to be com- comedy sketches about being homeschooled all these different things um and uh, did you i know you said that your dad didn't speak um like you know he was a man of few words and whatnot but mm. did you have a good relationship with him were there times where um you know like was there a relationship yeah man 100 percent. we understood each other man um and you gotta realize when you're growing up you aren't aware of the other experiences that people are having so for me that was just normal life i wasn't missing anything like it was amazing for me mm. it wasn't until i got older and i started to speak to my friends and they were like well my dad's like this and, and my dad's like this and then you realize okay there's there's different ways of doing things mm. but when i was actually living through it in the moment it was amazing and and we understood each other we had a really good relationship like i said never doubt that he loved me anything i needed he'd provide whether it was school dinner money a lift to the airport um clothes he'd always try his best um so our relationship was good and i also think that the conversation of you know when we speak about masculinity now and when we speak about mental health now we have so much more information and we're so much more vulnerable but back then and i'm only talking what 20 years mm. it was it was very different you know it was very very different and so the way things were back then was was very normal and so i didn't think i had any any issues yeah. but we had a great we had a great relationship and it's so crazy. I hate, I hate using the word crazy out of context, but it's so like mm. bizarre sometimes. Just because you're right about when you think about twenty years ago, like in like, like mm. obviously the year like two thousand two thousand and one. Um, I'd never heard any um, conversations around mental health. There was never mm. the word the, the the words together just were never said. And yeah, even throughout school. Um, I don't think I don't even think we had a guidance counselor, and if we did, nobody knew who that was. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, trust you me. Know, and it was just a, it was really funny just to kind of when I started to think back on all those times, there was none of these conversations. But when you start to look at your parents now, as you grow older, and you start to have you know particular experiences, whether that be relationships, whether that be work wise, whether that be all of those things, you start to look at your parents in a particular way because you're like. <laughs> really did like because you know it's really one of them ones like if you some people right they'll be sending like you know like older generation they'll probably be like oh my parents are like 24 23 when they had me this is the picture of them with me and i'll be like like they look like big people <laughs> Do you know what yeah. i mean they're big people with a whole child um and they look yeah. like they're just about this life and at 23 24 i just was not there emotionally mentally no way, financially even yeah so, well they had to grow up so much quicker than than we did especially if you're a first generation brit mm. you got to think the battles that our parents were fighting were okay how do i get out of my situation and create a, a better life um if i've come over like how do i create a community and friends because i'm all alone how do i guarantee my stay in this country how do i get a job and like they're different battles to what we had to fight and so they had to grow up a lot quicker but you know when i look back i always think okay through one lens i'm like man my parents could have done a better job like emotionally but on the other hand i'm like wow what they're coming from 
is crazy, bro. Like, it's mad. And they've done good. Like, their parents must have been even, like, way back. Do you know what I'm saying? And they've moved forward as much as they've, they have they can. And now it's on us and our generation to pass the baton on to us. And now it's on us to be better for, for our kids, you know. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you're right, man. It's, it's bizarre when you look back. Yeah. So a huge part of, like, your book um, is about... I think the I think the the theme threading through as much as you you have the conversation around toxic masculinity and about um kind of the emotional side of being men and how we just mm. kind of not um kind of conditioned to do that and it takes a process of unlearning and restructuring and reforming that um as we as we grow and go forward um but the thread line throughout your book is grief mm. and um I'm a huge I, I I don't want to say I love grief because that's just no, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I do think that I am su- I'm super interested in grief as a um as as an as an emotion um the deep level of heartbreak that comes with it um yeah. the opening up to feeling that comes with it too and um tell me about tell me about your pers- your experiences with grief yeah man so i think <sighs> My dad passing away in 2017 kind of opened the floodgates. When that happened, um, I'm the eldest child, you know, in a Ghanaian family. So I went into the autopilot and I was like, right, I've got to make sure my mum's okay and, and my little brother's okay and, and funeral arrangements, everyone's coming to me. And so it's stiff up a lip. It's everything I've been conditioned to all the ways in which I've been conditioned to behave by, you know, the council estate and by Ghanaian culture and that kind of stuff, you know, be strong, don't cry, just move on, get on with it, do the job that needs to be done. That's the mode that I went into. Yeah. Uh, a couple of months later, I hit a brick wall where I was like, where I was like, this ain't working for me. You know, it makes sense logically. I get what people are trying to say with stiff upper lip, but I think it's actually detrimental to my mental health mm-hmm. and how I'm feeling. And so I just allowed myself to cry and I let myself go um and I was honest with myself I think I'm okay at being honest with other people but I'm not always honest with myself and I said yeah I'm I'm struggling um and I need to let this out and what happened was it helped with processing that situation to a certain extent but it also took me back to when I lost my friend to a stabbing on the estate and I just moved on and I never really dealt with that or when one of my friends got struck by lightning and he kind of made it through but the impact oh. that that had on my faith and, and how I looked at God and why he would allow, allow something like that to happen and took me back to losing my, my grandparents and that kind of stuff and all these things that I'd kind of buried and, and hadn't dealt with um they were just there man everything out on the table um and so it was really losing my dad that kind of open that doorway and it was weird bro like after I cried on the one hand I felt like a failure because I knew that you know my mum would want me to be strong society would want me to be strong whatever that means but on the other hand I felt amazing I felt better man like (laughs) when I was all cried out chilling on I think I was in America at the time but it was it was great and I was like man I don't want to be the man that society um views as right this is the alpha male this is the bravado you need this is the strength that's not me because it's damaging for me mm-hmm. i just want to be me and and deal with it in a way that's helpful for me you know yeah 
at the end of 2019, my grand passed away. And that was a huge kind of, like, there's a, there's an emotional, a huge emotional shift for me as well. So I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm like, I get every single thing um, from, and I was mm. just, and I, I did a podcast episode about it um, like last year and just the process of kind of understanding what grief was. I think I kind of went into yeah. cerebral, like into my brain mode, just to kind of really like break it down and then like get myself connected up as to what that meant um, and whatnot. Mm. But the question is, when you were crying, did you feel like you had permission to do that? <laughs> That's a great question, man. Um I didn't think I had permission to do that. But when I really, really deeped it and delved into why I thought that, I realised a lot of that pressure was pressure that I had taken on myself. In reality, when I told my mum that I was struggling, she was actually very good about it, mm. you know. Um, when I told my friends that I was struggling, they were actually really good about it. And so I think the general consensus of society and how masculinity has has been put out there resulted in me taking on all that pressure mm. and put it in on myself, mm. you know? Um, and so I just realized, man, a lot of this damage I'm doing to myself because the people that actually love me and care for me, they just want me to be okay. And if crying is the thing that's going to kind of set me on my way to being okay, then they're fine with that. And I do have permission yeah. to do that, you know? For you, what do you think it would take to kind of get us out of that you know, I, I hate the term toxic masculinity, but that toxic cycle of, you know, the boys don't cry, have to be strong, stiff mm. up a lip, that kind of cycle that kind of helps us in that, that puts us in that shame spiral um, when it comes to feeling any kind yeah. of emotion. You put in the book about when you were in a fight, it was just some, after you like, playing a game and you went out and you got into an argument with another mm. friend and they, or somebody, I don't know whether they were a friend or not, but got hit and you're crying and it's like well, mm. when people are asking you why are you crying and you're just like pain <laughs> oh, pain reaction result and that's just that that doesn't seem to make sense to people when they start looking at men yeah who go through these things yeah i i think it's difficult i think the key is we have to build deeper relationships with each other you know some of the the greatest conversations that i've had with friends is when we've been vulnerable with each other. And I think vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So if you go into a room of friends and the question is, how you, how you doing? You all right? And someone's like, yeah, I'm good, man. Had a good start to the year. The person that's coming after you is probably going to think that they have to follow suit, you know, in that kind of mood. So now I've changed the questions that I ask my friends. I don't say, how are you? Right now I say, on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling today? Then they've actually got to think about how they're actually feeling. All right, I'm a six today. Why are you a six? Oh, man, I ain't worked for a while and that's getting me down. Bro, do you know what? Me too, man. Work's not the... And it just... Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And I think the way to get out of it is, is such a, a, a big thing and, and there's different aspects and it's so nuanced. But I think one, one big thing for me is building deeper relationships, man. 100%. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. I think that's been like the 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 core message yeah no 100 and do you know what as well Definitely. like it's mm. it's not always that people don't want to be vulnerable 
it, sometimes they just don't know how, you know. I get it. If you're from a background like mine where you're watching your parents struggle and it's dog eat dog, you're going to tell yourself that the only way to survive is to fall into that view of masculinity that we're so used to, you know. It doesn't mean that you have to, but I'm just saying it's going to be difficult for you to, to break that down. And it's not just people that are from a working class background. Sometimes you're from a background where you're actually really wealthy and you feel like you can't be vulnerable because you're so blessed. You have everything you could ever need. You don't have a right to be, you know, down or, or depressed or, or anxious and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the key is through deeper relationship and also not placing our grief above others. Because I went, I got into this really bad habit, okay. man. Like when my dad died, if my wife came home and she was upset about work, I just... Your dad's still alive, man. You ain't got nothing to complain about. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I hear, I hear what you're saying. Not putting another person's grief ahead of somebody else's. Um, yeah. But and again, that's just down to, that's also down to just regulate how, how we regulate emotionally, you know? Mm. Um, and especially if we're not conditioned and or taught how to do that. And it's and we're, and we're kind of filled with shame when we when we do feel those things, when we're, when we're boys and when we're men, now and we are feeling the full spectrum of, of emotions when we feel it we're like well, i want it and this is me this is what i want to <laughs> yeah. do and, uh, and you start going into child phase and start tap tantruming all of those um and all of those emotions just start pouring out it's just so mm. and it's unregulated because you've not you've, there's been no um there's been no teaching there's been no conditioning mm. there's been no learning to go through that and um, which is why you will have an album like 444 yeah. um, by Jay-Z, which is why you will have um, conversations about like, men coming to those conclusions mm-hmm. later on in life because between boyhood and early and early stages of manhood, there's no, um, there's no emotional yeah. regulation. And, um, and, that's, and that is something to say. Yeah, that's so true, man. Yeah, definitely something to consider. This episode of Time to Talk is brought to you by BetterHelp. When I first started going to therapy, it was one of the hardest things I could ever do. Because it was one of the most vulnerable things that you can ever do, sitting in front of somebody and sharing your deepest, darkest self and going through a process of healing, that wasn't the first part that was hard. The first part that was hard was finding a therapist. So I'm proud to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Note, it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counselling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, but we are in a pandemic and the more help we can get, the better. So visit betterhelp.com, time to talk, 21. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash time to talk, 21, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional and get 10% off your first month. The service is available worldwide, guys. So there's literally no excuses. It's that simple. Head over to betterhelp.com forward slash time to talk 21 and you can get 10% off today. Let them know I sent you. Better help. Start living a happier life today. today. When it comes to mental health, how has yours been over 
at the time throughout you know you know the, the grief you've experienced and then um obviously through covid what's been happening with that here mm-hmm. and then over time how have you kind of, how have you related this back to your mental state yeah i think that it's not been as good as i thought it was i think when i started to take mental health seriously not my own mental health but just take the issue of mental health seriously as a whole i i always seem to separate myself from it i always seem to think no there's people worse off than me like i'm okay do you know what i mean but when my dad happened and i was looking back over my life i realized that i wasn't being honest with myself and there were two kind of factors i think the first factor was you know my faith and being a christian um i think the church that i grew up in kind of conditioned me that if you have doubts and if you're struggling mentally it must be because you don't believe enough and you're not hopeful enough and you're not positive enough almost like faith can't go hand in hand with doubt and mental health and so i felt like maybe i was subconsciously hiding my mental health struggles because i didn't want it to seem like i didn't have faith that i could be good you know what i mean or um Mm -hmm. i could not struggle and i think i started to knock that on the head um after my dad passed away because one thing i really struggled to do was pray because i was actually very angry with god and i was like i don't actually feel like praying right now because i don't understand why he passed away so suddenly he had cancer but he didn't know that he had it and so by the time he found out he was gone within like a week and so i was really i was really angry so i didn't want to pray these god you're so wonderful and thank you for like giving me all this stuff and i'm very grateful i wanted to pray stuff like god i'm angry with you and i don't understand why you've done this and i didn't feel like i could um and i guess the second thing was talking to people man like i'm a really bad communicator i'm bad at sharing my emotions and so i felt like that handicapped me a little bit in terms of my mental health um so yeah when i started to talk to people when i started to go to counseling when i plucked up the courage to be angry with god and actually say some angry prayers i realized how healthy it was for me mentally and that made me realize how unhealthy i had been for the last kind of 27 years of my life um so yeah it was weird man i didn't know how mentally unhealthy i had been until i started to speak to people and i started to unpack some of these thoughts and emotions mm-hmm. for sure Sure. Do you know what's really really interesting in the in the book? Mm. Um, when you talk when you and your when you when your wife suggested um, marriage <laughs> counselling, and I could just and it was so funny just reading just reading that whole interaction. It, you, it was like, what? Why? <laughs> like, okay, if that's what you want, something. Sort of it was like the, it was just the, the straight up like that. Um, just that that interaction that we see and hear all the time when it comes to men being being kind of gently coerced in or pushed mm-hmm. into the space of um help yeah it's a i'm only going because you made me i'm only going because you <laughs> x y and z what is what was that experience like um kind of going through that level of counseling because this is because i feel like because when it, you're counseling um that you mentioned before i'm imagining i mean i'm this is a big assumption i'm going to ask you just directly what kind of counseling <laughs> yeah was it? so it was um to do with my grief um directly 
Yeah. yeah. So grief counsel so grief counselling. So if you had grief counselling there and then you had marriage counselling, there are two separate kinds of counselling, yeah. but it's all in the same in the same thing to in the help in the hope to get you to the best place possible. Yeah. And um I just wanna just hear about your experiences between between the two. <laughs> you don't have to go into too much detail with the marriage counselling, but um but obviously just kind of what was your experiences with them? Yeah, so I definitely had a more positive approach towards the grief counselling because I'm responsible for myself. If I go in and I enjoy it, that's great for me. If I take their advice, if I move forward in life, that's cool. If I don't, then that is fine. But with marriage counselling, it's almost you're being held accountable by your partner and you're admitting that. So my, my kind of approach to counselling was different before. When I went to counselling before, it was always when I had an issue. Now I go counselling just to, even when I'm okay, just to offload, you know, and express myself. But with marriage counselling, it was tough because we had to admit that our marriage wasn't where it needed to be and that it could get better. And I also had to admit that I was a big part of helping it to get better. Um, and so it was quite, it was quite mm. daunting as well, man, because when there's conflict in marriage your counsellor is kind of like the referee. So I've spent all this time thinking, no, the way I'm doing things is fine, man. It's you, you're the problem. And then she'll be like, actually, mm. Isaac, governor, this is where you could improve, you know. But I actually found it yeah. quite enjoyable. I wasn't as optimistic going, but it was cool because of the way that they looked at things. So for example, um, when we spoke about like communication and why that's such a struggle for me, she was like, Emma, who's my wife's name, what was it like growing up? And then she would say, okay, we all used to sit around the table and have dinner every night. Someone that done that for 20 years is going to be a much better communicator than me who basically mm. went to the kitchen, took my food and went upstairs to my room and didn't talk to anyone. Do you know what I'm saying? But you don't, you don't think about those things. And then she kind of looked at, okay, Isaac, you're the eldest child. Emma, you're the youngest child there's going to be a different dynamic and how you were brought up and what was expected of you. And man, it opened my eyes, man. I'm so glad I went because you never really look at things like that. You just look at the issue. Okay, we're arguing because I didn't tidy up the house like I said I was going to. Really, it's, the argument's not about tidying the house. The argument's about deeper stuff, you know, how we communicate with each other, how we stick to our word and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah it was it was good man yeah. i think finding the right counselor is key though because i've had a couple that i didn't really connect with that well and so yeah it was cool oh that's absolutely mm. key and i always advise that when people go into therapy um i'm fortunate that when i went that my therapist is actually the one i've been with <laughs> okay. since like 2017 yeah. so that's been a <laughs> blessing for me but that's not always the case for other people. Um, and say always, always, always yeah. shop around because not everybody's going to, not everybody's going to um, be the right person mm. for you. And um, I found what you wrote in the book about love languages mm. really interesting. I'm a huge fan of love languages, apology languages. Yeah. Um, and and that, how did that kind of, how did that open up a new realm of communication for you in your in your in your life but also your marriage but also like just kind of mm. wider um interactions with people yeah learning about love languages was a godsend yeah i feel like it's a bit of a cheat code because i'm like right if my <laughs> my marriage ain't what i need to be what it needs to be 
am I doing my love languages right? Or if my relationship with my mum is strained at the moment, am I acting in the right way for her, you know? Um, so for anyone who hasn't come across it, um, in a marriage sense anyway, there's about five love languages. One of them's acts of service, um, so doing something for your partner. Receiving gifts is another one. Um, words of affirmation is one of them. Physical touch is one of them. And quality time is another. Now, my wife likes to receive quality time um and that's how she feels most loved so if i make time to hang out with her and turn the tv off have conversation she'll feel loved but i think when i got married um and we moved in together i just thought quality time was just us being in the same house like if i'm in <laughs> if i'm upstairs watching football and she's downstairs it's quality time isn't it we're in the house um but obviously it's very different to that but then my love language is probably acts of service. So if I've come home and she's helped me out with work or she's cooked me a nice meal, then I feel loved, you know? Um, but yeah. before I learned about that, yeah. we were just showing each other love in the way that we want to be loved. So she'd go out, I'd tidy the whole house, she'd come back and she'd be like, oh, we never really chilled together. And I'm like, I just tidied the whole house. Like, this is a loving thing that I did for you. Yeah. But even though she appreciates it, it's not how she feels most loved. So, yeah, man, it was it was a huge eye opener for me, man. I've, I'm kind of a handicap though, because yeah. all the women in my family are, are quality time, and I hate quality time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny just because it's like cause when you look at your um, and you what you said, you know, like you said your wife was around the dinner table and they all we spoke and mm. da, 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 and that's kind of that mm. quality time and that's the kind of yeah. thing that I'm used to um being yeah. around people but also having because you know there's also the self-love languages it's how you kind of reflect mm. that for yourself and um and you kind of like how you do things like with regards to say you had active service for yourself it's how you kind of do things for yourself and kind of how you kind of like keep yourself together but we conflate yeah. the two hundred sometimes we kind of cross over into different ways but obviously with you saying that you're this active service as being the eldest <laughs> and trying to get things done and do things with people it's really interesting when we when we start to when we start to like come out of our own spaces and start to yeah. look widely it's how you know it's how you set how you help help somebody else and how somebody else helps you and, yeah. they, and then you get to a point of 100 percent. and you know what the scary thing is and the challenging thing is you know i'm 31 now mm. and i have a first for knowledge i want to find out about myself and all the things that make me me and all the decisions and background and all that kind of stuff because they mean something but then on the other hand i'm like i've been this way for 30 years i have this knowledge have i actually got it in me to change because it's not going to be an overnight thing you know um which is scary but i think i'm going to give it a good go man and i think you get to the point where you're like i know better i can choose to do better now and it's going to be really hard because i've been this way for 30 years but i'm hopeful that at the end of it it will result in a more fruitful marriage and fruitful friendships with my mates and a healthier mindset you know and that's the thing that kind of inspires me to try and not give up yeah. What has been the highlight of some of the relationships that you've found over the lockdown, over COVID? Um, context is that we aren't, we aren't out as much. Mm. We aren't socialising as much. 
what was that what is that what has that said for some of the friendship you know you mentioned earlier about having deeper relationships that are kind of are important for this um how has that kind of been remedied for you over this yeah that's period? a fantastic question i think when i had a um, my son you know about a year ago mm-hmm. i was very excited to extend the legacy you know of of my dad by working hard and providing mm-hmm. um for my son and also furthering the generation you know I want my son to be better than me hopefully my dad thinks that i was better than him and for that cycle to continue and so i put a lot of pressure on myself to to go out and work and stuff but obviously since lockdown the nature of my work is i have to be out performing at concerts and all that kind of stuff and i haven't done that since march but the the silver lining is i've not missed any of my son's milestones i didn't miss any of his like, i didn't miss his birthday didn't miss when he started crawling didn't miss when he said his first word and and when he started walking and all that kind of stuff and me and my son have a great relationship he's only one but we have a great relationship and i can't help but think if i was out focusing so much on providing i don't know if we would have connected in the same way and i'm glad that it's happened at the start of his life because it's a reminder to me that i should never place you know providing above actually being present in the house and building that relationship with him um so that's one relationship that is definitely it's definitely benefited from from the pandemic and it feels weird because it's actually been such a a time where we've lost loved ones a time where our livelihoods have kind of been stripped away from us um but i like to think that even on the darkest of days there's still blessings that we can count and still positives that we can we can take from situations because it's just I refuse to let it be all bad, you know. There's there's got to be something I'm learning from it, and yeah, I think being present in the home is is a massive thing that I'm gonna try and remember. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think because we've all been grounded to our homes, and it's it's, it's out outside of it now. Just being a place where we come and stay yeah. temporarily. It's where we are. Spend most of our majority of our times now. Um. Who is the person you turn to in the heights of your most vulnerable moments? Um, who's the person I go to in those moments? Mm-hmm. I think I'm most honest with God because my understanding of him is that he knows the best parts of me anyway. Um, so I practice being most honest with him and hopefully that results in me being more honest in my earthly relationships as well. I have two friends, a guy called Nick and a guy called Joe, who are my most challenging yet least judgmental friends. And I think that's really important, you know, to be able to have people that won't judge you, but also people that want to pull you out of a rut that you might be in, you know. Um, and then I think since counselling, I've been practising being more honest with my wife because... I do life with her, you know, and there's probably still stuff that I can't tell her because it's just super deep. If she knew every negative thought that I thought, she'd probably be a bit worried about me. Um, But just practicing being more and more honest with her. Um, I think honesty is a continuous process, you know, Um, but I see that I just don't want to go through life alone. I've I've held a lot of stuff in my life um, just in my own head and it's not been great for me. And so, yeah. Mm. Did death 
uh, deepen your relationship with God? Yeah, it did for two reasons. I think it, I couldn't pray what I was taught to pray mm-hmm. because the words wouldn't come. My loss, the size of, of the loss was, was too much. And so I started to pray real prayers of God, I'm angry and how do I make it through? And why did you take my dad and that kind of stuff? And it created an authenticity. You know, there's still doubt there. There's still struggle. There's still tension, but it's real. And I think anything that's real is deep. You know, it's not perfect, but it's real. And so I much prefer the relationship I have with him now. Um, And the second thing is my faith counts for something even more now because essentially of what I believe it's probably the only hope I've got of seeing my dad again you know um every birthday 2017 when he when he's passed and every father's day it's felt like he's he's getting further and further away um and that's heartbreaking for me but when I kind of switch my perspective and think about my idea of heaven and that I'll see him again now I just look at every birthday and Father's Day as though I'm getting closer and closer to seeing him again. And so I never forget, man, at the hospital, the day that he passed away, about half an hour before, there was a family that were just in tears, man, um, inconsolable. And they had just lost a loved one. And it was me like half an hour later. But I always think about a family and I think, man, I wish they had like death can't be the end you know um and i don't want it to be the end and so yeah i think because of those reasons i definitely have a a stronger faith a deeper faith a more authentic faith Mm -hmm. all right this has been an amazing conversation um it's going to round up a few questions um what's one thing that you do that is that you do regularly that is super hard and difficult but you always (laughs) find it's worth it at the end definitely exercise man 100% 100% especially um during lockdown and us living in London where the weather is not great um I'm not really a fan of walking in the cold um but I just need to to exercise get my, my heart rate up and it, it helps me have a bit of a healthier mind you know I hate doing it though okay oh man it's awful I've been trying I've been trying <laughs> I've been okay well, I like People say, oh, you know, you don't try, you do, blah, 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 blah. I genuinely have been trying. <laughs> like, I have been doing the stuff. I, I'm so inconsistent. I just need, um, I need, I need deep accountability. Yeah. That's my thing. I need deep accountability. Or yeah. else um, the nature of the, of the result, I just end up in a shame spiral and it's long. But um, yeah, it's a definitely exercise. Okay, cool. When you think of the most compassionate act for yourself, what do you think of? Forgiveness. Um, I think I've I've treated people away in the past, and you know I didn't spend as much time with my dad as I would have liked. Even though, you know, looking you know, looking through the texts and stuff when people pass away, and you're like, oh, I didn't reply that one, and didn't reply this one, and um, short tempered with family members, and. Um, not as honest with my wife about where I was at and I think I'm very hard on myself and so mm. I'd love to show more compassion to myself by forgiving because I think when I forgive myself I can start to look forward rather than my past being a stumbling block to progress um, so yeah definitely forgiveness 
Amazing. And the final thing, what was the last song you listened to that moved you? That moved me. Um, mm. And I opened up my Spotify because I listened to so much music. To do something. Uh, let's have a look. What have I last listened to? Do you know, it's probably, um, I actually sampled this song on my last album, but my verse is not as good as the original. So listen to the original if you're hearing this. Um, but it's Wookie, a song called Battle. Um, one of my all-time favourites, but just inspires me to look up, man, and not give up, man. It's up-tempo. It's just really uplifting, man. So, yeah, that inspired me to keep going. Cool. And the final, final question, what is the one unspoken thing that men need to start speaking about? Oof. That's so hard because all guys are different. Um, but I would say to anyone listening, whatever first popped into your mind when you asked that question, that's the thing. <laughs> that's the thing you need to start speaking about. But as I say, man, I'm not one of these guys that like, I would love all men to speak out because I think it's important. But I know that there's some men that do want to, but they don't have good relationships or do want to, but they don't know where to start. So all I say to you guys is, man, mm. take every day as it comes, take baby step at a time, man, and and hopefully the outlet, the outlets become available for you to be able to share because no one, not one person is built to go through life alone, man. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We are not meant to do this alone. We need one another yeah. to get through this time. Again, so thank you so much, Governor, for joining me on the show. It's been an amazing conversation. I, there's so much more I wanted to, to speak about. Um, but where can people find you? Um, and, you know, this is a question I'm more just like, <laughs> yeah, where can people find you? Where we are Googles. No, I'm joking. Thanks for having me, man. Um, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Glad we finally made it happen. We've got to do a part two because we could yeah. probably talk for ages. Um, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, Google Governor B. Governor spelled incorrectly. I clocked when I got, went to America on tour. So I was like, I keep trying to find you online, but they were typing in like Governor B. So it's, um, no. I'm East London Cockney. So it's G U V N A B. I'm on Twitter and Instagram yeah. and Facebook. And the book, I think, is out now. Um, Unspoken Toxic Masculinity and How I Faced a Man Within the Moon. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, you know where you can find me. I'm by Alex Holmes on Instagram and I'm just out here, alexholmes.co on the interwebs because we decolonized the domain name. I'll catch you later. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Head over to Apple Podcasts, click the five star button, leave a comment drop me an email at alex at alexholmes.co head over to steadyhq.com forward slash alexholmes become a member there sign up to the newsletter feel good fridays which you will get in your inbox each friday a dose of goodness that you can get just go to alexholmes.co and you can sign up there um, and also this episode was produced and edited by ryan nile over at pure creation media check them guys out make sure you show them some love as well they're amazing and he's amazing doing amazing stuff on the show and with the show just getting better and better each time so thank you guys for joining me this week i look forward to chatting to you again talk to you soon again be encouraged, be encouraged and be brave, be brave.